Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicNPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Lara Pizzorno, MDIV, who is lead author of Your Bones. Today we will discuss how too many phosphates are killing us. A member of the American Medical Writers Association for more than 25 years, Lara is the editor of Longevity Medicine Review and senior medical editor for Salugenesis, Inc., and Integrative Medicine Advisors, LLC. She regularly writes review articles for physicians on issues related to healthy aging for Integrative Medicine, a clinician's journal, covers the breaking research on bone health via video clips on YouTube, and edits the World's Healthiest Foods weekly newsletter. A member of the American College of Nutrition, she's a contributing author to the Textbook of Functional Medicine and the Textbook of Natural Medicine, co-author of the Encyclopedia of Healing Foods, and lead author of Natural Medicine Instructions for Patients. Her book, Your Bones, How You Can Prevent Osteoporosis and Have Strong Bones for Life Naturally, has now been translated into German and Polish. Lara, welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be back with you. Lara, the last time you shared with us some really surprising information about bones and bone health. And I think this time the information on a slightly different topic is equally surprising and, at least on my end, not very well known. Let's start with something really basic, which is phosphates. What are we referring to when we say phosphates? I know that it's an essential mineral, but would you tell us a little bit more? Sure. Um, phosphates are, uh, the, the main concern that we'll be discussing today is not so much the phosphorus that is in naturally found in food, okay, um, in vegetables and in uh, primarily in meat. It's very, very richly found in uh, meat products but the phosphate additives that are used by the food processing industry to um, enhance flavor, to uh, enhance moisture retention in products, to prevent flowers from caking, um, and lots of other uses. There's thousands of uses that phosphate additives have in processed foods, and it turns out that we are now getting uh, lots of phosphate additives that we really don't know about. We don't know how much we're getting because these um, additives are considered uh, GRAS additives, G-R-A-S, which stands for generally recognized as safe. And so food manufacturers are not required to let us know how much of these phosphate additives they're They just have to list the additive, but they don't have to tell you how much of it is in the food. And since... Uh, probably three or four additives at least and sometimes more are added to virtually every processed food, by the end of the day, the average person is consuming quite a lot of them. And we have now found out from uh, medical research, there was a big conference held on this at Harvard about a year and a half ago now, that the amount that the phosphate additives, when we're getting too much of them, um, are actually increasing death uh, from all causes and not just in people who have kidney disease, who um, have known we've known for a long time that people with uh, kidney problems are incapable of clearing phosphates from their uh, system, and so it, it really causes uh, kidney damage for them, and they have to be careful how much phosphate they consume. But we now know that it's not just the people with chronic kidney disease who are at risk from this, but it's everybody, healthy adults because the amount of phosphate additives people are consuming is so high. So does that answer your question? Yes, I think, I think it helps us get started. When we say phosphorus, then, we're talking about an essential mineral for our cells in our body. So phosphorus in and of itself is a healthy thing. It's an essential mineral that we have to have. The problem, if I'm understanding you correctly, is that in addition to the healthy quantities that our body needs, there are a lot of added phosphates that are being used in the food industry to maintain products for a longer time on the shelf to enhance their flavor or to keep them moist. Is that right? Those are the three that I heard you mention. 
There, there's dozens of uses for phosphate additives in, uh, in food and, um, and in sodas. You know, cola, cola beverages are probably the worst source. And what happens with the phosphates in food, why, uh, I mean, sorry, in food additives, why there's so much of a problem for us while phosphorus in whole foods is not, is that the phosphorus in whole foods is bound up in the food matrix and it must be digested and released from the food um, before it can be absorbed. So the majority of it doesn't get absorbed. And um, the phosphorus that's in vegetables, for example, is bound up with phytate, P-H-Y-T-A-T-E, um, and so the, the complex doesn't get broken down very well, and the phosphorus just gets excreted um, in the stools. But the phosphate additives are not bound to anything. And when you consume, for example, um, a cola drink, the phosphate additives in that cola just go, are absorbed 100%. They go right into your circulation and go everywhere throughout your body. And if you're a person who eats a lot of, you know, prepackaged processed foods, it's in meat products, it's in cereals, it's in even yogurts. They add it, uh, dairy, you know, dairy products. I'm providing for you a table that lists where all the phosphate additives are in the various processed foods that we commonly eat. And so all of these phosphate additives just go right into the system 100%. And it's just overloading us, that's all. It's, it's not that phosphorus is evil, but consumed in excessive amounts that our body can't process properly, it becomes very harmful. And it has been associated with cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, and a number of other conditions that are causing deaths, if I understand correctly, the gravity of the situation, among what would otherwise be relatively healthy people. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. What happens is when there's too much phosphorus, the um, way that our body metabolizes all minerals gets uh, screwed up because there are some hormones that get activated when too much phosphorus is circulating in the bloodstream. Uh, some of you may be familiar with parathyroid hormone. When parathyroid hormone levels are chronically elevated, that causes us to withdraw calcium from our bones. And um, the calcium, the other hormone that gets elevated is a fibroblast factor 23, and that hormone prevents us from activating vitamin D properly. So when parathyroid hormone and fibroblast factor 23 are both chronically elevated, we are pulling a lot of calcium out of our bones, so we have a lot of calcium floating around in the bloodstream, but we are not activating our vitamin D properly, so that calcium is not being absorbed into cells it's going into our arteries and into our kidneys, and it's killing us. Uh, so we're, we're losing bone, and we're calcifying our arteries, and we're destroying our kidneys. And the combination of all of that is, um, is very dangerous. Is this a cumulative effect? In other words, does it get eliminated from your body as part of its natural process over time? Or does it stay in your system, say, something like mercury, which, if I understand correctly, will stay in your body forever? How does phosphorus work in, in that sense? Well, what happens, at least initially, is that the, um, the body really tries to regulate how much phosphorus is in the circulation. And so um, at the end of the day, uh, within 24 hours, at least a good chunk of it is going to be removed uh, through the kidneys. But if your kidneys aren't functioning, it's not going to be removed. That's one of the issues with kidney disease. Um, but what happens over time is that as your kidneys start to fail uh, because of the too much phosphorus, okay, then it doesn't get removed, and it, your phosphorus levels in your bloodstream uh, continue to be very high, and it causes problems. It causes those problems I was, I was mentioning. You, you, your ability to properly use your calcium um, gets very badly disrupted, and so the calcium ends up going into your 
arteries, um, and calcium also goes into other soft tissues like your breasts and your brain, and it's, it kills you. Yeah, that didn't sound good. Your breasts and your brain right. don't sound like good places for phosphorus, right? It's not good, no. Not, not excess in any way. Which is why I, I wrote this article that was just published um, in a medical journal called Integrative Medicine, a clinician's journal, because I wanted to alert doctors uh, to check their patients if they are at risk for um, anybody with high blood pressure, if they can't get rid of their high blood pressure and they can't figure out what's causing it, or um, if they're losing bone excessively, um, or they... Uh, those, those are the two main things that I would get that I would ask my doctor to check me for. If you're at risk for cardiovascular disease, or if you're at risk for kidney disease, or you, you're at risk for osteoporosis, then this is a huge contributing factor that causes all of those diseases. And so you should be checked to see if your phosphorus levels are too high, and if you're someone who really needs to you know, eat fewer processed foods or at least avoid soft drinks. Uh, the cola drinks are the absolute worst. Cola drinks top the phosphate hit list. They, um, you know, they're high in sugar. That's a problem. So they cause inflammation, which is another problem and exacerbates everything else. But the cola drinks have nothing in them except for the sugars and the phosphate additives. They're, they're, and maybe some flavorings. And the phosphate additives in the cola drinks are 100% bioavailable, and they're very rapidly absorbed. And a lot of times, you know, we drink a soda without food, which further increases their uh, likelihood of causing a real spike in your bloodstream um, of phosphate. And uh, the effects are really damaging. I mean, they've done studies in young men where um, they took a group of young men and they divided them into two groups, and they looked at what happened to the young men if they replaced milk with cola beverages for 10 days, just 10 days. And they, what they found was that after uh, the 10 days, in, in these young, healthy men, okay, their um, parathyroid hormones spiked. You know, their parathyroid hormone levels went way up. Uh, their markers for bone loss went way up. And their vitamin D um, was was badly affected as well. And when they consumed milk, of course, none of these detrimental effects were seen. But the negative impact of cola um, was was quite uh, surprising and quite harmful within just 10 days. And you think about what many people have as their normal pattern of what they eat and drink all the time. When you say cola... Are you referring to sodas, or is it specifically sodas that are dark in color? Because, of course, there are... Cola drinks, anything with, like, Coca-Cola. But So, so for example, would Sprite fall under that? Uh, not as, it's still not good for you, but cola, colas are the worst. Um, they did a study uh, on older adults, and they were looking at bone, you know, bone density in older people. Um, this was one of the Framingham osteoporosis studies, and they found that the uh, bone mineral density in the hips, you know, w- which is where you really want to have decent bone mineral density because you don't want your hips to break, um, that a, in postmenopausal women consuming just one cola drink daily, they had 4 to 5% lower average hip bone mineral density than those who consumed less than a serving of cola each month. And they didn't see any association with bone mineral density for soft drinks that did not contain cola. But for the cola drinks, uh, they had a very strong effect across all types. The the, uh, regular kind of cola drinks, whether it was decaffeinated or diet, it didn't matter. Because these drinks are all very high in phosphate additives. And the phosphates are 100% absorbed very quickly and they spike your blood levels of phosphate. And it, it, then it has all these negative effects on your body's ability to use minerals properly. Okay, let's look at this from another perspective. What is a healthy 
amount of phosphorus that you should be consuming on a daily basis? Is there a recommended daily allowance that's generally accepted? Yeah, absolutely. So the RDA is 700 milligrams uh, per day for adults. And um, there's a couple of different parameters they use to discuss this. they use another thing called the EAR, which stands for Estimated Average Requirement, and that's 580 milligrams a day. Um, the recommended daily allowance, or RDA, is 700 milligrams a day. And when they looked at how much people were actually consuming, the average phosphorus intake was 1,166 milligrams per day. That was the, the average in most Americans. Um, and more than half of young and middle-aged men were consuming 1,600 milligrams of phosphorus um, or more every day, and more than half of young and middle-aged women were consuming about 1,200 milligrams per day. And we should be getting uh, about 500, 580 milligrams a day, um, but most people are getting about seven, uh, I'm sorry, the RDA is uh, 700 milligrams. And the tolerable upper, upper limit is 4,000 milligrams. So some people are getting more than 4,000 milligrams a day, which is the, you know, the absolute toxic limit where it's like a poison. It's not just that it's causing neg- all these negative effects in your kidneys and your vasculature um, but, and your bones, but it's, it's actually like a poison. How do you know if the foods that you're eating have these elevated levels of phosphorus. Let's take a look at the table that you were talking about for a moment so that we can look at some of these items on the table. You have milk and dairy. You have grain-based mixed dishes, bread rolls. I mean, these are foods, vegetables, seafood, eggs, juice, fruit. These are foods that we all consume. Would you tell us a little bit about those and how we go about navigating the system so we can stay away from harmful phosphates. Sure. Um, and then, and, and you know, what you just said, that the phosphate additives are in all these different processed food products is why it's a problem. If it were only in a few or they were using, you know, not so many of the phosphate additives because each one does some different food-enhancing, flavor-enhancing thing, um, we wouldn't be getting quite so much, but it's the it's the overload uh, that that's the issue. So the best thing you can do is um, try to. I think two categories you can really be careful about are the uh, colas, right? Those you should totally avoid. If you if you have to drink a soda, then don't have a cola. Have you know a, a a Sprite or whatever. I mean, I, I certainly don't recommend sodas because all they do is have sugar and they cause inflammation otherwise. Um, they're not good for you. But the colors are their worst, so I would avoid those. And then the other thing you can do is read the labels. You know, look and see what's in them. Uh, at the And you'll have to see, you know, there'll be a list of the ingredients. I tried in the table to list the commonly... The, the examples of the different phosphate additives that are put into these um, processed foods. So if you see a really long list, let's say you're trying to decide um, between two kinds of uh, breads, and you look at the label, and one bread has two phosphate additives, and the other has six phosphate additives in the list. Get the one with two, <laughs> you know. Um, another uh, major source of phosphate additives in food products is in meat products, okay, where they are especially abundant. There's a, a whole bunch of things that they uh, use phosphate additives for in meat. And if you can avoid uh, buying the, the processed meat, so if you're going to get chicken, you know, get chicken that hasn't been prepared already for you and cook the chicken at home instead of buying the prepared chicken that has, you know, a dozen different phosphates added to it. Because the other thing is that they've looked at um, what small amount of information they have about uh, the the chicken and other meat products that have phosphate additives, and they've found that 
the amounts that they found have been uh, staggering, and they calculate the amounts. A serving size is supposed to be three ounces. I mean, who eats three ounces of of a meat product, you know, or um, any kind of a meat dish? The um, Serving size, three ounces, is le- is less than a pack of cards. It's 25% smaller than the size of a pack of cards. Even a 10-year-old child will, will typically consume at least that much or even more meat in, in a serving. So I would really try to avoid uh, the prepared meat products. And um, I would read the labels. And then I would get the things that have the smaller list of phosphate additives after them. Uh, Another potential help is to go to the websites on the Internet that discuss kidney disease, you know, diets for people with kidney disease, because people with kidney disease are the, the canaries in the phosphate toxicity coal mines. Okay, they're the people that really can't tolerate phosphates because they their kidneys will not clear them properly. So when they consume foods that are high in phosphates, their blood levels of phosphate become very high very rapidly, and it's extremely damaging. So they have dietary recommendations for people with kidney disease or at risk of kidney disease um, that help point them in the direction of how to avoid the products that are the worst. But truly, they're the, um, you know, the, the beverages, the cola drinks, and I think the cola drinks and the meat products are, are the worst. The cured meats and poultry um, products, I would really try to stay away from them. Uh, some of the seafood products, too. So read the labels. I try to find ones that have fewer phosphate additives and purchase those when at all possible. On the, the sodas, the soft drinks, the colas, one of the issues that I hear people respond when the issue of soft drinks, colas, comes up is, well, but if I drink diet whatever, it doesn't have any sugar. And there are no studies that say that the diet sodas are bad for you. Is that true? Uh, not really. The, um, the diet sodas are going to have phosphate additives. The colas have the most. They're the worst. But other diet sodas will also have phosphates in them. And the other thing is that many people may not realize but there's been quite a bit of research done on using, uh, you know, diet products. And what they found is that your endocrine system still gets very upset with you because your endocrine system thinks that you're consuming something sweet because the signal goes to your brain that you're consuming something which is going to provide energy and then you're, you don't. So a whole bunch of things get upregulated in your body in preparation for the sugar that you don't receive, and this causes problems for you. Um, After a while, your ability to uh, deal with sugars gets negatively impacted. So it's not not free, you know, for your body it's not free. And the best thing to do is if you really like a fizzy drink, I love fizzy drinks, and what I typically do is I get um, sparkling water like a Pellegrino or Perrier or one of those, and I add some kind of a little bit of fruit juice to it, and it's delicious, and it's healthy for me. As a matter of fact, they've found that uh, mineral waters, many of them actually are a pretty decent source of calcium for us, and most everybody in the U.S. is not getting adequate calcium. So the mineral waters are actually healthy for you. You can get the same fizzy taste, and it's, you know, mineral waters have no calories, and if you add a little bit of a fruit concentrated, you know, concentrated fruit juice or some lemon juice and a little honey or some ginger. You can make yourself a very delicious uh, fruit drink, you know, fizzy drink that is actually good for you. So I would recommend that. I was under the impression that carbonated beverages, even carbonated waters, were not healthy for you if you were at risk for osteopenia or osteoporosis. Is that not true? No, that, that, is, that is not correct. Actually, the latest research, um, and I can send you uh, some of this research after our talk, uh, shows that, these, that the mineral waters actually are a pretty decent source of calcium. And interestingly, they're a better source of calcium than many of the calcium-fortified beverages because what happens is the calcium in those drinks 
precipitates out to the bottom of the container. I don't know if you've ever bought like a soy milk that's calcium enriched or a rice milk or any, any of the, or even an orange juice. And when you get to the bottom of the container, there's some kind of sludgy stuff in the bottom of the container. That, that's the calcium. That doesn't sound appealing. Well, if you, so what you do uh, to improve how much calcium you're actually going to drink, you know, get from drinking those is to shake up the container very well before you pour your, your, um, non-dairy milk of whatever flavor it is into, you know, over your cereal or into your glass so that you've uh, disseminated the calcium through the drink and then you'll, you'll get more from it. But they, in the research, they've actually shown that mineral waters are a decent source of calcium for people and other, and some other minerals too. Right. It wasn't the mineral water aspect that I was mentioning, but the carbonated, the fizzy mineral waters, I was under the impression were not good because they caused your bones to release calcium that they needed. Yeah, I, I have not found that to be a problem in the studies I've looked at. Okay, great. It's actually shown that the mineral waters improve um, calcium absorption and in your body. And so if you, even if you did lose a little bit of calcium um, from carbonation, which I'm not sure about, I'd have to check that and look at the research again. I haven't seen that um, in actual research. I think that's one of the myths that's perpetuated. But um, I remember when I first developed osteopenia um, when I was in my late 40s, you know, one of the things they told me was, oh, no, you know, and I, and I always used to drink sparkling mineral water because I enjoy it. Um, and they said, oh, no, you know, don't have that. And then about a year later, I found that that was not, not correct. So I went back to drinking uh, Pellegrino, which I really like. That's great news for people who like fuzzy beverages. Yeah. What, what's bad is the chemical additives and the fake sugar, you know, the, 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 the um, fake sweeteners or the actual sugars that are and the phosphate additives that are put into the, the sodas. Those are definitely harmful for us. That makes me think what you just said and, and something that you said a minute ago about your endocrine system and how your body was responding to what it thought was going to be sugar but ended up not being exactly what it was expecting. What about all those, I don't even know what they're called, uh, naturally occurring sugars, I think is what they are, but they're not, uh, they don't, they're not fattening. Right, like stevia. Exactly. You know, I think I think it's fine if you use a little bit occasionally, but there are, unfortunately, I think what happens is, you know, we put a little in our coffee and we put it on our salad or, you know, our fruit salad or whatever. By the end of the day, you've used a fair amount of it, and it's just, it's not normal. I mean, it doesn't normally appear in food. If you just ate food, like whole foods, you would not get the amount of stevia that we liberally dispense everywhere because we think it's not no calories. And, you know, calories aren't the only thing in foods. I mean, our body responds, food is information. And your cells are going to respond to the information that's delivered. If you deliver information to your brain that says, get ready to deal with uh, glucose, your body is going to prepare for glucose to arrive. And if it doesn't arrive, after a while, your body's going to not know what to do anymore. I mean, just think about this. It's just common sense. I think part of what happens is that the average person just doesn't pay that much attention in, in a regular, everyday life. Most of us don't stop to think about what you just said, which is that you're sending information to your body every time you eat something. You're making a promise. Well, this is supposed to be a carb, or this is supposed to be a fat, or this is supposed to be a protein. And when you start sending foods that are not exactly what they seem to be, you're sending mixed messages is what I'm hearing you say. Exactly. Your body prepares for what, I mean, initially it's going to prepare for, if, if you send something sweet into your system, you know, sweet tasting, okay, then the, the, you, the, the sensors in your tongue and in your digestive tract, send, an inf- send information to your brain, you know, hey, let's get some insulin out here because I'm, I'm making something, I'm consuming something sweet and I need that insulin to take the sweetness into my cells where it can be broken down and used for energy. 
if there's nothing there that can be used, that's confusing. So after a while, your your pancreas, you know, isn't sure whether the message that it's getting is accurate or not. And then your insulin uh, generating machinery doesn't know what to do anymore. It, it's confusing for our bodies. It's not um, it's not a good way uh, to you know to, to feed ourselves. You you just want to eat real food. Eat real food. It tastes better. And you you'll, you could probably find that the the couple of hundred calories that you save in a day from using a, um, a well the stevia is a is the least offensive of the fake sugars. The other ones cause uh, you know there's tons on the web if you want to look into this, but they they're um, neurotoxins, excitotoxins that really make your brain go a little haywire. And a lot of people, some people are more sensitive to it than others, but there's been endless reports of really people having big problems from regularly consuming these, like aspartamine, which is a known carcinogen. So these are not things we, this is not the kind of information we want to send. We want to send the stay young and healthy and enjoy life and have lots of energy information. And when you say real food, you're not talking about fast food. You're talking about whole food that hasn't been processed. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. It, yes. I mean, obviously, most of us, you know, cook our vegetables, or we, we certainly don't eat raw meat. You know, I guess raw tuna is eaten, but outside of sashimi, I don't think we eat raw raw food. But there's ways to process food ourselves so that we know what's in it. You know, so that it doesn't, so that we don't. Uh, eat a piece of meat that has 15 different phosphates added to it that we didn't know about, and extra sodium and extra sh- and sugar very often as well in meat products. Um, if you buy chicken and you cook it yourself, you know what was done to it, and you're getting like chicken, you know, <laughs> not chicken plus a whole bunch of other things that you really uh, didn't know you were getting, and frankly don't want if you want to be healthy. It's one of the things I've discovered recently is that there are a lot of products that appear at first glance like they are unprocessed, specifically fruits and vegetables, and yet sometimes they're frozen or they've been sprayed with some sort of a pesticide or a preservative that extends their shelf life, but there's no disclosure of any kind. Or maybe it's a wax or a food preservative. Some of the citrus, for example, I've noticed will say on the label that this has been sprayed with a coat of wax and a fungicide or something along those lines. But many times, for example, when you get the apple at the store, it just has a label that says what the country of origin is. And when I went to do research not that long ago to find out why number of the apples I was buying when I cut them up ended up being rotten inside, I discovered that many of the apples were being stored for a year or longer. How do you deal with that? Uh, your best bet is to, you know, if there's a local organic grocery store. Um, I live in Seattle. We have a group of grocery stores called Puget Consumers Co-op. It's a grocery cooperative. And uh, they source the food locally whenever possible, and it's organic. Uh, most all of it is organic. If it's not organic, it's labeled. And you can avoid, you know, you can avoid the uh, foods that have been treated. If you, I know that lots of farmers markets are opening, you know, all across the country now. We certainly have dozens of them in every neighborhood now in Seattle, um, because you know this is an area where there's a lot of farms nearby. Um, you can grow your own vegetables in the summer. It, it's so it's wonderful to have a garden, and it's very inexpensive for, you know, an investment of ten or fifteen dollars. You'll get hundreds of dollars worth of produce, and it'll be fresh, and you'll know what's in it. And it's uh, surprisingly easy to do. We we just started uh, with a small vegetable patch about three years ago now, and um, we're just astounded at how easy it was, and how much fun it was, and how much better the food tasted when we you know, picked a cucumber and and ate it 20 minutes later instead of, you know, getting it from a store where it had been transported and been stored for how many days, who knows, before you get it. 
But two, your best bet is to um, eat organic, and I know that that's too expensive for most of us. You can go to the Environmental Working Group. Um, that's our website, ewg.org, Environmental Working Group, and they have a list of the foods that are highest in pesticide residues, which you want to try to avoid, and lowest in pesticide residues. So you, it's you know, you could if you don't can't afford to buy organic. Just um, use more of the foods that have the least pesticide residues in them and then try to minimize your consumption of the foods that are the highest in pesticides or, if at all possible, buy them organic or buy them from a, you know, a local farmer's market where you can actually talk to the people that grow the food and get some kind of an idea of what it is that you're eating. On the table, I look, for example, at the category for vegetables and the category for fruit. Actually, fruit have a lot less. And you list under fruit monopotassium phosphate. And now, that's not the naturally occurring one. This is an additive. Is that right? Right. All of the, all of the foods, I mean, I'm sorry, all of, the, all of the phosphate compounds on the right side of the chart are all additives. So I, I put the names there so these are what you can look for. Now, how would you know that a fruit, strawberries or blueberries or apples or whatever fruit you get, how would you know that it has monopotassium phosphate? So it's going to be more in the fruit products. So raw, you know, just fresh strawberries are not going to have a phosphate additive. But if if it's a product with strawberries or it's like a strawberry jam or the strawberries are in syrup or, you know, they're... Um, in the in the freezer section, and they're not just frozen fresh strawberries. It'll say on the label if they're in a syrup or whatever. The chances of there being a phosphate additive are extremely high. And is that the same with case vegetables. with the vegetables? Uh huh. Yeah. It's you know a, raw broccoli is not going to have a phosphate additive, but if you get you know broccoli in a in the freezer section um, in a sauce. That, or in some kind of a broth, or they may, may have added it there to retain because it's a flavor enhancer. They use it as a flavor enhancer in the breads, um, or in the in the bakery products like quick breads, bread products, uh, breads, rolls, tortillas. The phosphates are added to retain moisture to prevent the flour from gumming up. I mean, there, there's lots of reasons why, and to extend shelf life. There's lots of reasons why. They're used, and that's why so many of them are used. Each one does some other different function for the food processing industry. And since they're generally recognized as safe and they don't have to be, you don't have to say how much you're putting in, they just add as many as they want. So I'm hoping that this is going to change. The um, researchers at Harvard who convened this big conference about this issue um, a little over a year ago now are agitating that our government require the food processing industry to let us know how much of these additives are in the foods that we're eating. They estimate that the um, national databases that tell you how much phosphates are in our foods underestimate by 25 to 30% the amounts of phosphates that we're consuming. And as I said at the beginning of this talk, um, we're way over the limit even even when we are underestimating by 25 to 30%. The average intake is well over 1,000 milligrams a day, and that's an underestimation by 25 to 30%. So they're agitating to try to get more information for us so we'll actually know what's in the food we eat. How about something like eggs? If you are just buying refrigerated eggs at your supermarket, do well, those whole, have whole eggs? They're not going to have additives. But so if this it's is an egg product. Like people buy egg beaters, or they buy eggs that are added to something, or the you know the instant eggs. Those are the things that have the additive phosphates in them. Whole egg and egg in an eggshell in a carton is a whole food, right? It, it, I mean, you're, you're best off, as usual, buying organic if you possibly can because the nutrient quality of the egg is going to be a lot richer. It'll be a lot healthier for you. But it's not going to have phosphate additives in, in an egg that's in the eggshell. 
It's when they crack it open. You know, you, people buy just egg whites or they get egg beaters. Those things will have additives. And you can read on the label of the container what's in it, just not how much. <laughs> At least we know that there's additives in there. We just don't know how much. But we do know that the average person is, is consuming way, way more than our bodies can handle. Now, that brings me to something that you said earlier when you were talking about making a selection between two products that both had phosphates. You said pick the one that only lists two versus the one that lists six. Is there a situation where the one that has two has a lot of those two, whereas the one that has six might only have tiny amounts, or does that not happen? You know, I don't know. Um, the, since the only information we have now is how many, I think it's pretty safe to assume that the one that has six has more phosphate additives in it overall, you know, a total, than the one that only has one or two. That's I'm all sorry. the information we have. That's why, you know, people are trying to get better information for us. I mean, your, your best bet is to, is to make it yourself, you know. Um, but who has time to make bread? I, I certainly, well, I, that's not true. I try to bake um, gluten-free bread um, once a week, but I don't always get to it. I'm, you know, I'm working. And most of us are working, and by the time we're home from work, we, you know, we are not going to bake a loaf of fresh bread as nice as it would smell and as much as it would taste better, and it would cost us less, but, you know, the time element is just overwhelming. We just can't. So you try to get the products that you are going to buy, you try to get the ones that are the, the healthiest for you. And it's, you know, you, you do what you, as my mother used to say, do what you can and can the rest. We do try to do the best we can for ourselves, but we, you know, we also have to live within the practical constraints of modern life. It's, um, we don't have the luxury to grow all our own food and bake all our own bread and et cetera. You know, you just, do the best you can. Are there phosphates that are worse than others? You know, this list that you have on the chart lists a huge number of different kinds of phosphates. Try this and dye this and sodium pyrophosphate acid, blah, blah. Is there a distinction between these? Are there some that you absolutely should, I know you said stay away from all of them, but as you've also said, sometimes life gets in the way and you have to make concessions. Are there some that are kind of like the worst ones? I think the um, the all-time heavy hitter in the phosphate additive category is phosphoric acid, which is the additive that's put into uh, sugar-sweetened, you know, cola beverages, diet beverages. Uh, it's also in some alcoholic mixed drink beverages. Um, and it's in condiments, uh, sauces, you know, which then get added to the other food products that you purchase that prepackaged. Um, I, I, that one, it's also phosphoric acid is also in milk and dairy. I'm just scanning down the list of all the places it appears. I know that phosphoric acid is 100% bioavailable, and pretty much as soon as it gets into your stomach, it's in your bloodstream, and 100% of what you ingested is in your bloodstream because it's that easily bioavailable. But none of these are friends for you. So I would try to, you know, again, you, you do the best that you can. Try to buy whole foods where you can um, and try to buy organic if at all possible because that's not going to have any additives in it, no, no phosphate additives. Um, and if you can't, you just buy the product with the fewest ones on the label. And I think you said frozen foods sometimes also have these additives, right? Some frozen foods, well, but not all. I mean, you know, frozen foods can actually be better for you than canned foods like uh, frozen vegetables because what they do is they take the vegetable, they blanch it, and then it, it's frozen instantly, and they don't put a lot of additives or anything in with it. Um, they don't have to. It, it's the frozen foods that are in like a sauce or something. You're you're much more likely to get additives with with those. Uh, but oftentimes, frozen food is just blanched and frozen, and all you get is the food. You know, it doesn't have anything added to it. 
And so the retention of nutrients is actually better than in canned food. And then in canned foods, you also have the issue of what they put in the lining of the can. Uh, Many times the cans are lined with plasticizers, such as bisphenol A, which are endocrine disruptors and cause cancer. And it leaches into the food, especially if it's a food that has any kind of acidic component in it, like a tomato sauce or you know, anything that has lemon or any kind of acidic um, component in it, that's going to cause anything that's in the lining of the can to leach into the food. So you should get, say, like a tomato sauce or anything with that acidic content in a glass bottle? Yes. Yeah, you don't want plastic. And I've noticed that the, you know, ketchups and all of that, they have acid in them, and they're in plastic bottles. And the plasticizers are leaching into the food. So if you can possibly get it in glass, do that. And, you know, there are still some products that are in glass. I I look for ketchup that's in glass. I can still get it in my grocery store. But, you know, I go to Puget Consumers Co-op where they try to source for us the things that are the least uh, damaging. Which is increasingly difficult to find products in glass jars, isn't it? It, Yes, It, it is. You know, you you can do it. It takes a little bit more effort, but, for example, with the ketchup that we use, you know, I know which one it is. I know where it is in the store. The first time I looked for it, it took me five minutes to find one that was in glass, and now I know where it is, and when we need it, ketchup, I know what to get, and it doesn't really take any more time. Right. It just takes that initial effort to identify it. Mm-hmm. How do you know that you have phosphate toxicity. How do you know about this canary in the mine that you talk about in your article? Are there symptoms or is it only by having a blood test? How do you find out what's going on in your body? Okay, well, as I wrote in my article, you know, for doctors, I tried to list uh, clinical indicators and then also some labs to assess whether a patient had high phosphate levels. Um, Excessive phosphate consumption should always be considered as a possible factor in anyone who has high blood pressure, um, arterial sclerosis, coronary artery disease, um, a history of having a heart attack or a stroke, osteopenia, osteoporosis, uh, if kidney function is at all impaired or some form of kidney disease is present like kidney stones. Um, Of special concern are people who are in the beginning stages of having compromised kidney function, and they may not be aware, and their doctor may not even be aware of their need to really cut down on how much phosphate additives they're consuming because if your kidney function is starting to deteriorate and you do something about it, you might be able to restore healthy kidney function. But if you don't do something about it and you load your body up with phosphate additives, you're going to destroy your kidneys, and you're going to be one of those people getting you know, dialysis and needing a kidney transplant or dying from kidney disease. So um, the earlier you can become aware of it, the better. Uh, When you get your, you know, your physical checkup, your doctor should be checking for your kidney function, that it's normal. And on the lab test, there are indicators, you know, there's a range of what's normal and what's not. And also if your doctor, if you've been seeing the same doctor for many years, they should have your records and what your kidney function was two or three years ago, they should be able to compare that to your latest annual physical results. And if it's not as good, then they should go, hmm, you know, what what might be going on here? Why is my patient's kidney function not as good as it was two or three years ago? So, um, and in terms of high blood pressure, particularly if you have a high systolic blood blood pressure, that's a very uh, strong indicator of potential phosphate toxicity. So that's what I would that's what I would look at. Uh, oh, another indicator is uh, one of the tests that they do um, when they check your blood pressure is they look at what's called the ankle brachial index, and that's an indicator. Of, it's a many doctors have these machines in their offices now. It's a it's a little machine. They put something on your hand and they can tell what your um, brachial index is, which is the, the blood flow through your arm or through your ankle. And if it's not good, that can indicate that your arteries are getting stiff, your peripheral arteries are getting stiff, and that's a, a, another indicator of too much phosphate in, intake. 
as I said, many doctors, the, the, the machines that do that kind of ta- test are um, very inexpensive, and many, many doctors have machines that check for flow. It's called flow-mediated dilation. So your doctor may be able to check that for you. Um, if you have a, uh, if your blood levels are um, high in phosphate, uh, that's an indicator, although you, to really get an accurate uh, check of whether you're you're high in you're high in phosphates. You need to have um, not just an early morning blood draw, but a blood draw throughout the day because the amount of phosphate in your blood is going to vary throughout the day. And our bodies work really, really hard to keep the phosphates lower, you know, in a normal range in our blood. And so, in the typically they do that like in the early morning. It, it clears out. Your kidneys work very hard to try to clear out any excess phosphate. So um, you can have a test run in the early morning, you know, like 8 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, which is typically when they do blood draws in many doctors' offices or labs. You go in first thing in the morning because you're not supposed to have eaten anything, and then they do the blood draw, and it's going to look like your phosphate levels in your blood are fine, but they're not because what's happened is your kidneys have worked very hard for the last four or five hours to make it normal. And then it's not really normal at other times of the day. So you really need to get your blood checked throughout the day. Um, in the article that I wrote and that I, is on, available on Integrated Medicine and Clinicians Journal, I have a list of the tests that can be run to determine if phosphates are too high in a person and what your doctor needs to look for and what your doctor should order um, for you to, to double check. Those are the urinary, urinary cyclic AMP, the serum phosphorus, the serum 25-OHD and 125-D, and the serum cross-linked CTX or urinary cross-linked NTX. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, those, those are the, the primary tests also. Um, well, let me explain a couple of these because some of them um, you may be familiar with. So the serum 25-OHD and 125-D, that's your vitamin D that's floating around in your blood. And there's two forms uh, that are floating around in your blood. The 25-OHD is the, is the kind of the, um, the, it's the, it's the form that's most present in your blood for vitamin D, and it's sort of the, the source form for vitamin D. What happens is in your kidneys, 25-OHD gets activated in your kidneys into 125-D, and that's the very, very potent form. That's the hormonal form of vitamin D that then goes to your cells and um, does all the activities. 25-OHD is the storage form. You can think of it as the storage form. It's floating around in your circulation. Um, of course, if your kidneys aren't working properly because you have too much phosphate, then your 125-D is going to be not activated enough, right? So that's a problem. The uh, cross serum cross-link CTX or urinary cross-linked NTX, these are breakdown products of bone. And if you have higher levels of either one of these products, it means that you're losing too much bone. And a reason for that could be that you're, you have high phosphate levels floating around in your bloodstream, and so your parathyroid hormone levels get elevated. And when that happens, you withdraw calcium from your bones. So these two tests are easier tests to run. Uh, the serum versions are more accurate on the, the uh, CTX and NTX. And then the other tests are you can look at um, what's called intact parathyroid hormone because that's the active form of parathyroid hormone. If you have a lot of that floating around in your bloodstream, then it means that you're withdrawing calcium from your bones. And a reason for that could be that you have, have too much phosphate consumption and so it's causing your parathyroid hormone levels to rise. So yeah. what do you do? You find out that you are consuming or that you have been consuming too many phosphates and you have phosphate toxicity. What, other than stopping that consumption and being more careful about what you eat, focusing on whole, unprocessed foods, is there something that you need to do to treat this toxicity that's in your system? Well, if you just stop sitting on the tack, the pain will start to go away. You know, if you <laughs> remove the tack, okay, your body, our bodies are constantly striving to balance and heal themselves. 
we come pre-programmed to be healthy. And then we do things to ourselves that make us not function properly anymore. If you get off the tack, the pain will go away. So, you know, one thing that you might want to do if you're concerned about this um, and you uh, haven't yet talked to your doctor is keep a food diary for three to five days and look at what you're eating, uh, particularly soft drinks. How much are you consuming? You know, prepared meats, frozen foods, bread products. How much of these are you eating? And then you can look at the labels on the, the things that you typically buy and eat and see if they have a long list of phosphate additives with them. And if they do, then you may want to either look for, you know, alternative products that have fewer of the phosphate additives in them or try to uh, eat more whole foods. And that really is the way, you know, you, you, we got to clean up our act, you know. Um, there's no other way to do it. You it would be wonderful if we could only have organic, locally grown, whole foods, you know, for our diet. And um, we everything, all the fish we ate was wild caught, and it was rich in omega threes, and it didn't have any heavy metals. And if we ate free range eggs, and if the meat and dairy products we ate were all only from animals that only ate grass, and you know, were well cared for, this would be wonderful. Um, but the reality for most of us is that we, a fair amount of our, the foods we eat are processed convenient foods. They constitute a pretty major part of our diet. And the best thing, you know, under the circumstances, we can at least avoid cola drinks, right? If you, if you just, if you find, if you're somebody who, who really likes carbonated beverages and you drink a lot of sodas, try getting some Pellegrino and putting some flavorings in it. See if you can replace those sodas with something that's not going to hurt you. Or if you um trying to think of other things that are really common, if you um, really like uh, chicken, instead of buying the prepared chicken products with the sauces and stuff on them, just buy chicken and, you know, cook it for yourself. Put some seasonings on it and, and cook it so that you know what you're getting. Uh, if you keep a record of your diet for a few days and you can limit and you can identify which the where the worst offenders are for giving you too much phosphorus then you can cut back on them at least or try to eliminate the the worst ones like the sodas you mentioned wild caught yeah is there yeah. a relationship between wild caught and phos or not wild caught and phosphates uh well the chances of a Farmed fish being used in a processed food product, like um, when I go to—I don't know if you have Sam's Club where you are um, or Costco. Sure. But, you know, I, I right. So I, when I go there, I buy like our cleaning products and, and things there. It's much less expensive, and sometimes I can see frozen wild-caught fish fillet, uh, like salmon or whatever. But oftentimes it's more like tilapia, and it's in a sauce or it has some kind of seasonings on it. And if you look at the box, you're going to see that the farm-raised fish, which is a lot, typically it's less expensive, but it's also not nearly as good for you, um, it's going to have phosphate additives in it. So it's much better, again, you know, if you want to eat fish, buy the fish that's uh, frozen or fresh fish in the fish, to, you know, in the, in the meat department of your store and come home and put some seasonings on it yourself and cook it instead of buying the frozen packaged thing that has all the additives with it. And you probably will get more for your money if you just buy the fresh fish. You also talk about low glycemic load vegetables. What are you referring to? Can you give us some examples? Uh, sure. So the, the starchy vegetables are higher, in, uh, are higher on the GI level. So um, starchy vegetables, a prime example of starchy vegetables that we seem to really enjoy a lot and eat a lot of here in the U.S. are uh, potatoes. We, we like potatoes, and, but we don't eat whole potatoes, right? If you eat a whole potato, you get a lot of fiber with it. Um, you can determine how much oil or fat or salt is being added to it. If you eat potato chips, that's a completely different ballgame. It's 
it's a very high GI effect, you know, sugar effect on your body, and um, it's not good for you. So that would be, I, I think, the, the prime example. You know, other vegetables that are high GI are, um, but it depends on whether you're eating them whole or processed, um, are things like carrots are higher in glycemic index, uh, but they're not going to cause a problem for you because they have a lot of fiber. And, you know, we don't eat carrots that have been thinly sliced and highly salted and cooked in a lot of fat. So potatoes and carrots are fine provided they're not processed foods. Right. What would you say to our listeners who want to get a better handle on their phosphate or their possible phosphate toxicity? What proactive measures can they take other than potentially getting a copy of your article, which uh, they're going to need access to a medical library, I think, um, or recommending that their physicians read it, which is sometimes a challenging thing because doctors' time is so limited. What suggestions or what information should they keep in mind? Okay, well, I, I have sent you the table uh, where the phosphates work and how to identify them that lists which foods have, you know, which processed foods are highest in phosphates and then examples of the additives that will be on the label. So um, if you will post that chart for them, yes. they can print that out and look at the foods that they typically buy. And if, they're, if they seem to have a fair amount of phosphate additives, they can try to find alternative processed foods that have fewer additives. That's one thing to do. Again, you know, I recommend keeping a three- to five-day food diary revealing which processed foods you eat the most and looking to see if they are high in phosphate additives. If they are, look for an alternative food or make it yourself. And um, yeah, that, that's really, you know, soft drinks. Again, try some Pellegrino with some flavoring in it. Cook the meat yourself instead of buying prepared meat. Um, it'll cost you less money and it'll be healthier for you. Uh, and I don't, I don't really know what else to say. If you are someone who is definitely at risk, if you have high systolic blood pressure, if you have kidney disease, or you're at risk for kidney disease, if you've had kidney stones, um, and that indicates that your kidneys didn't work right at some point because you formed kidney stones, um, or if you have osteopenia, you know, or definitely if you have osteoporosis, either keep the five-day food diary and eliminate the worst offenders, um, or definitely talk to your doctor about this issue. Um, your doctor should be informed about this, can go on PubMed and pull these research studies, can pull my study from Integrative Medicine, a clinician's journal, where it will be Feature, it, it, it will be given there as a featured article. Bill, is the title again, Lara? Canaries in the Phosphate Toxicity Coal Mines. It was published just, just this past December, 2014. So Canaries in, phosphate, in the Phosphate Toxicity Coal Mines, published yes. December of 2014. Yes. And you can just put, um, if you go on Google to look for Integrative Medicine, a clinician's journal, it's uh, typically abbreviated to just IMCJ. So, you know, just like the Journal of the American Medical Society is abbreviated to JAMA, okay, Integrative Medicine, a clinician's journal, is abbreviated to IMCJ. Thank you, Lara, for joining us from Seattle, Washington. You're so welcome. I, I really hope this helps. I, I became very concerned about this issue for people when I um, saw this research and the colloquium that was brought together at Harvard to try to get some information out to the public um, and, and also to physicians so that we could start to do something about it. Um, because it's not just the people with, you know, anybody who consumes a lot of phosphates is harming their kidneys and causing bone loss and causing calcification of their arteries, any, any one of us, even healthy people. So it is a major concern, and we need to at least know what's in our food so that we can protect ourselves. And our doctors need to be aware of these issues so that if we have high blood pressure or bone loss um, or kidney, you know, kidney dysfunction, that they will check into this because as soon as we stop hurting ourselves, our body's going to heal. This so we shouldn't be at risk for this. Very alarming and very easy to fix, I think, is the most 
positive outcome of our conversation is that you're saying your bodies are naturally designed to repair and to be healthy so that if you stop consuming these phosphates, they will sort themselves out in most cases, right? Absolutely. Now, if you've done some damage to your kidneys or whatever, you know, it may take some time for it to heal. But if you stop harming yourself, our bodies are constantly trying to regenerate healthfully. That's, um, that's how we're born. And we to- come pre-approved for health. <laughs> And to our audience, thank you for listening to Lara Pizzorno, MDIV, who is lead author of Your Bones, who discussed how too many phosphates are killing us. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com. 